0: Good morning, everyone. Dr. Salvatore Pacella here from San Diego, California. I'm joined by my guest, Dr. Sam Bree in Paramus, New Jersey. He's at Bergen Cosmetic, and of course, Dr. Sam Jajurikar in Dallas, Texas, at Sam Jajurikar. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Doing well. With All right. Dreams. <laughs> okay. Today we're going to be talking about a very common issue in plastic surgery, or in any surgery for that matter: scars. So we're going to go into and take a deep dive into how we prevent visible scars or problematic scars. So it's certainly a, an issue we have to deal with. Any surgery that you perform in any given capacity will create a scar. But if we can create that scar in such a way that it's inconspicuous, I think that's going to be obviously going to have a, a better cosmetic outcome. Before we get started, we've got a few housekeeping items to talk about here. So I'm going to hand it over to Sam. Notice. <laughs> notice. How, notice. <laughs> notice. This choose it, which Sam.
1: Notice. He didn't know which one was reading it. So this show, this show, is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified healthcare providers with any question you may have regarding medical care and never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something you may have seen on the show. Dr. Pachella, back to you.
0: All right. Sounds good, Jen. So so scars are certainly a necessary evil in any surgery. And I, I think we have to separate the difference between facial scars and body scars. The, my mind, when I think about this concept, when I perform a body scar, obviously I want to make it look as good as it can. But we have the benefit in a scar on the body to cover that over with clothing. Correct. Now, in the face, or in the hands, or some place that's visible, it's very difficult to cover any scar. And so, I, I in my practice, I have to be specifically careful with any facial surgery to optimize how I'm how we're managing that scar. And I think the most important thing is on the day of surgery. And So let's first talk about what we do to minimize scars at the closure. So why don't we, why don't we start from you? you want to go, go? Go ahead. No, go ahead.
2: Go ahead, Sam.
1: I, I, the, the one slight exception I have is I, I don't make that distinction you do about facial and body scars because of my patients, and I, I'm sure you guys see this as well, tend to be pretty worried about all of their scars. I agree with what you're saying, practically speaking, though, about, about facial scars. So in terms of your question, you were saying, what do we do with the closure? And I think you're looking for a one-word answer, which is tension. <laughs> tension and avoidance of tension on the skin closure is the most important thing. And I'll let Dr. Reed talk about sort of what specific things that he does. But really, when we're closing a surgical incision, we want to make sure that the skin closure is not tight. That's a surefire setup to get a bad scar.
2: We've dealt with scars our entire surgical careers. And so there are probably 500 things that we all do automatically without thinking in order to get the best appearance for our scars. And we could take, I mean, literally, if we talked about every single factor that we automatically take into consideration for a scar closure, we could talk about it for 12 hours, but I think the number one thing, which Sam hit on the head is certainly tension. You could talk about techniques for closure and sutures for closure and all all sorts of other things that we do automatically for every procedure because obviously as sal says a a facial procedure is different from a body procedure but different body procedures also necessitate different types of closure if you're doing a breast dog the way you close that might be different from a tummy tuck or from say small very small incisions for liposuction so so there are so many different factors that are involved, and the type of patient also makes a huge difference. So when we're closing our incisions, it's almost mind-boggling how many different things we have to take into consideration, but we automatically do it just because we're so used to doing it. Right. So, so
0: let, let's kind of break that down for a second. So, Dallas, so I, I, I respectfully vary in this topic from you as far as face and body goes, and, and to me, anatomically, there is a major difference it's the anatomic location of where that scar is located. So, for example, to me, in being around the block, and I've never necessarily seen this written or documented anywhere, but the thicker the skin, the worse the scar becomes, okay? So, when I'm closing scars in the eyelid, okay, I close them much differently than I do for scars in the abdomen. And to me, when you have a scar from a skin cancer on the shoulder where there's an extensor surface and the skin is very thick, I think that scar some t- many times looks a lot worse than a tiny scar or a thin scar right in a natural line in the face or the neck. And so I, I approach these anatomically very different. And and I think first step, I think, for me in, in creating a good scar is, is the, the start of the surgery. Okay. So what, what I mean by that is when we're making cuts, scars that we make in surgery are much, much different than scars you may get from a, traumatic injury when you trip and fall and you cut your chin. And and I think there's co- there's a common misconception out there when, when patients sort of say, well, I go to the ER, I don't want the ER doctor or the PA closing me because I want a plastic surgeon to close me. And, and to some extent, there's some validity to, to that, but some to some extent there is not. And, and why that's different is many times from a traumatic standpoint, it, it doesn't truly really matter who closes the incision. But it's the mechanism of injury that's, that's the problem. So, for example, in a traumatic injury, you, you don't get the ability to choose where you're going to make that cut. And so when we make it in surgery, if we make it along the line, we know that cut is going to be very, very thick and very atraumatic. But when you have a traumatic scar on the nose, the forehead, the eyelid. It's really not just the laceration or the cut in the skin. It's the blast component or blast injury or the bruising that we see that can cause very bad scarring. And and the benefit we have in surgery is that we we handle the tissue very well, and there's not a a sort of peripheral injury that we have. So comments on that, Jess?
1: I actually think you and I don't disagree at all on this. I, I think we're actually very similar. I think some of what we bring to this conversation is the differences we have in our practices. You are very well known in both traumatic reconstructions as well as facial skin cancer reconstruction. You wrote a textbook on it, for God's sakes. My practice is entirely aesthetic at this standpoint. So if I'm doing a body procedure, which is what sort of I think led to this conversation, it's an elective fine line incision that's being made. If it's a tummy tuck, it's falling in a skin crease. If it's a breast lift, it comes back to minimization of tension. So I completely agree with that. I think my comment about just sort of differentiating face from body is in my practice, which is cosmetic. I talk, I talk to every patient usually based off of what they're bringing up more so than what I'm bringing up about their scars because they're worried about it, and a broader discussion of what we'll do during surgery and then what their post-operative regimen will look like.
2: But I agree with you completely. I slightly disagree in the sense that I think we actually do a really good job for traumatic injuries that say others might not do in the ER and, and the, and you're right. The, the mechanism inju- of injury plays the biggest role. That soft tissue damage that's associated with a lot of t- traumatic injuries. You see that maceration of the edges. A lot of times it's not a sharp injury. It's usually a blunt force that literally splits the the skin open like a grape and you have this as you said blast injury surrounding soft tissue injury that as it heals it can it can heal very poorly but the way we evaluate it the way we manage it the way we we treat the tissue and close it all of those things can play a huge role in how that traumatic injury heals and i've seen many many colleagues mine other plastic surgeons approach traumatic injuries and how we close them, very different than how others might. So you're right. Some things we can't prevent as plastic surgeons, but everything else that is within our control, I think we do a really good job with. So so let's break this down. So let's
0: say we're doing a body procedure or some sort of other deeper procedure on the neck down. I, I, I would agree we all try to close these wounds under minimal tension. Uh, the lesson for our, re- for our for our listeners out here is if we're doing an abdominoplasty or a tummy tuck common language when we pull that tissue and take it out we don't want to pull it to excess we want to put it so it lays down very flat under a little bit of tension but not a ton when we're doing a facelift okay same sort of concept if we're true, really truly trying to jack that you know skin as high as we can behind the ear or in front of the ear, that's going to lead to a bad scar because tension equals bad wounds. So how do we dissipate some of the tension in 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 wounds where we're pulling things? So deeper layers of sutures. So gents let's let's kind of talk about that a little bit. What do you what do you use? How do you approach it? You know, what's what's your philosophy? Well
1: I'll stick with your first example, which is it was a tummy tuck. There is two two common methods that that i will utilize that are that are well described the first are progressive tension sutures so those are going to be sutures that go that along the undersurface of the skin flap which basically help march along the tension so that that skin flap that you're closing instead of the tension just being at the the very suture line that you're closing it's evenly distributed throughout the flap the other thing is closure of the deep fatty layer which is called scarpus fascia but basically it's a it's a a layer that has some tensile strength within the fatty layer that I like to put some sutures into that will basically minimize the tension on the closure. Those are the two, I think, things that I add to it. Facelift, similar principles,
2: particularly with with some deeper sutures in what's called the SMAS. I think this is where experience comes into play. And when you're deciding how much tissue to resect either or how tight you want that facelift, how tight you want that belly, a good surgeon knows you can't bite off more than you can chew. If you're too aggressive with it, and no matter what you do, you're going to have problems because it's just going to be too tight and you're going to end up with a bad scar. If you go too loose and you're too conservative, your result won't be as good because it'll be too lax. So it really does take experience for surgeons to understand how tight, how much tension is acceptable even regardless of all the techniques and tricks we have, as Sam said, where we try to reduce that tension by taking the load off of the superficial tissue and, and using the deep tissue to hold it. There's only so much that that work that can do. So really experience, experience counts for for all of this stuff. Right. And, so, and sometimes, both, I'm sure you'll both agree, less is more.
0: You can always take off more tissue if you need to, right? But you can't ever put a back. Right? So now as far as the, the type of stitch you use, so, you know, my, in deeper, deeper parts of the body, I, I oftentimes use a Vicryl or a braided stitch. But in my experience when, and, and that, the reason for using a braided stitch is I think it unravels less, but, but it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. When that braided suture is towards the surface of the skin. It oftentimes can spit. It creates a little bit of bacteria. So I've I tried to shift towards either a running braided suture to avoid knots or a interrupted sutures that are not braided or where are called monofilament sutures. So and then on the skin surface, oftentimes in the body, I'll I'll use a subcuticular, which is where for our listeners it's a it's a suture that you don't see any train tracks. It's hidden underneath the skin. And usually there's a there's a piece of the suture either very deep, it's a knotted, or it's coming out of the skin at either end. So there's no that kind of train track line. I,
1: I think it depends on what part of the body we're, we're talking about. If we're talking about a again, which seems to be where I keep going with this, I use all monofilament sutures, even deep, but I use what's called a barb suture for our listeners. So I use... Um, a suture that won't unravel—it's basically one continuous stitch, but it has little little barbs in it. So with each stitch that you put in, it locks. So it sort of eliminates that unraveling issue that Dr. Piccillo was talking about. The, there, there is—it's a little bit easier for the body to break down these monofilament sutures than the barb sutures. A little bit less of an inflammatory reaction, and so it's my supposition that that helps the final scar.
2: There's a secret that we don't tell you as plastic surgeons we're trying to get your closure done as fast as possible but still with <laughs> like a good amount like with a good result. So we're constantly balancing like how long is it taking us to close versus how good is the result going to be and that's something that again, experience counts when you see really expert surgeons, they are efficient, they close fast they are not wasting any time or excessive suture or excessive Material. So, I've gone in my career from going to yes. I think for bellies, I use monofilaments. I use barbed. I've kind of s- starting to move away from barbed. I'm not sure about some of the like inflammatory response that Sam has said. I try to do running, but I can't s- stop myself from doing a few interrupteds just to sort of tack things together, just so that I feel like I can approximate it a little bit better before I start my runnings. But it's it's a constant tension. Like I want to get. Done and get the patient off the table as quickly as possible, but I still want to maintain the best quality that I can. And so, every surgeon is a little bit different because they're how much tissue they're taking off, how they're doing it, what sutures they use. All of these things put a little bit of variation into what their final approach is for a patient.
0: And then, so so we've closed it now. We've closed the incision, and we're sort of going through the process of how we put a bandage on and i'm sure we all have kind of different ways we put bandages on or or derma bond or glue or this or that but the key here i think is is understand understanding the patient expectation about how that scar is going to look on day one on day two on a week three weeks three weeks three months etc so how, how do you counsel your patients as to how this scar is going to look because honestly sometimes patients they they expect the scar to be immediately healed within of In two weeks and look perfect. So what do you do? The really good
1: question. The 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 healing response goes through multiple stages. Stages in the first three weeks, basically the body is laying down a bunch of collagen in the scar. Scar looks kind of kind of doesn't it doesn't look great in the first few weeks. So there is the scar is getting thicker as it's getting thicker and the body's laying down more collagen. It's getting more inflammation to it, so it's red as well. And over the first three weeks, if you were to look at the total amount of collagen. In a wound closure, it's just increasing more and more. Once you hit about that three to six week mark, the body undergoes a process of remodeling. And that remodeling process can be as, as short as six months or as long as two years. What I'm sort of focusing, focusing on is number one, protecting the scar during that remodeling phase. That means avoiding things like sun exposure, which can take a scar that's otherwise healing well and create hyperpigmentation or a brown discoloration around the scar, and then doing treatments to try to speed up that remodeling phase. And I'm sure we'll get into what, that, what that'll that be a little bit later on. Dr. Ree.
2: Yeah, I think it doesn't look awesome for those first couple of weeks. And a lot of what I do is try to mitigate patient expectations by talking to them beforehand. And honestly, a lot of my initial dressings just cover everything up so that they can't really look at it and and obsess. So, uh, some of a lot of it is protection, as uh, Sam has said. But a lot of it is just to help the patient psychologically not freak out because they're staring at something all the time. And and I think that helps. I I, I see this routinely in in any facial surgery I do,
0: particularly in the skin cancer reconstruction that I do. And and I I I, I have this kind of feel like give every single patients regardless. And I, I say to me, when the scar looks exactly the worst is about four to six weeks afterwards. It's, it looks the most red and the most irritated. And I found that when I tell patients for the first week, your, your scar is going to look perfect. It's going to look like a little thin line. There's going to be no redness. It's, you're going to be very happy with it. And then four to six weeks later, I'm going to see you back again. And you're going to say, what is this guy doing? This looks terrible. This is the worst scar I've ever seen. But that's, that's exactly what we're talking about with the remodeling phase and the end of the collagen deposition phase. And, and to me, that's the optimal time to really use any additional modalities that we may have. In my practice, at about four to six weeks is when I, I really try to aggressively have patients massage or just start to initiate once the wound is healed and it's airtight, to start to use silicone products. So for me, silicone and massage are really two pillars of of scar management. Gents, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think silicone is the gold standard by which we must measure all other forms of scar treatment. I think on the face, you're probably using silicone ointments more. And the body, I think it's more of a choice between silicone ointments or silicone strips. There's pros and cons to both. Usually it just comes down to patient preference i find that in my practice patient compliance is a little better with silicone ointments people do have to be really good about using it twice a day though you can't just sort of pick and choose your your time where you're going to do it if you are the sort of patient that's not going to be able to remember to do something twice a day then silicone strips are the key and the important thing is the more you use silicone, the better it works. Don't decide after a week or two, this isn't really working. And I'm going to go use some concoction that my friend recommended to me. Silicone requires lots of time, lots of diligence over a prolonged period of time to see the results.
2: It's so funny. I, I'm the same way with silicone now. It, the, I I'm leaning towards ointments just because I think compliance is better but you're so right the awesome scars the one that look really inconspicuous that heal really nicely those are the patients that have really put the regular diligent time in like you said twice a day extended periods of time you know the difference you you don't have to even have the patient tell you you can just look at a scar and you will know whether or not a patient has been good with their treatment regimen with the, with silicone or not and and that makes all the difference in the world for me.
0: And Dr. Sam from Dallas hit on a good point is he, he said that silicone is the gold standard for, for scar management. And, and, and there's actually, there's some data behind that. There arguably no other modality has been proven more than silicone to assist with scar management, making scars better and ladders. And, and there's a there's a biomechanical reason for that. Silicone is a is a, an inert substance, but it has a negative charge to it. And our bodies are basic. What I mean by that is not simple, but basic in, in an acidity standpoint. It has a negative, our skin has a negative inherent charge to it. So it makes a lot of sense when you place a, something that's negative on the surface of something else that's negative, that's negative. There's a repelling. So it's, a, it's almost an electrostatic that occurs with silicone. So it, it, is, it is critical for management. Now, is there
1: anything else you guys might consider adding around that six-week phase?
0: I, I do as well. So I would say that when, when we look at patients in my practice, facial patients at least, so you know, there's kind of a bell curve of, of patients who are going to be red and patients who are not going to be red. And I found that older patients with a tremendous amount of skin laxity or loss of collagen in their skin oftentimes tend to be less red than somebody who's younger. And so there's this kind of bell curve. And the patients who are kind of on the top third of that bell qualitatively, the, the ones with the reddest scars, at about five, six weeks, I'll oftentimes recommend a laser modality for that. And I, I found that laser treatments really could tend to help. And it's usually a braxel or an ablative type of laser that can really assist with reducing the scar prominence and reducing the redness. I don't think lasers for everybody, but usually the critical time period, I think, is about five to six weeks to get started.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. We uh we use a laser, use lasers a different I tend for patients that have red scars, I tend to use more of a pulse dye laser. So a different laser that's more geared specifically for redness, or I'll use a broadband light treatment to to try to help with that. What I, what I do find is also really helpful. And Dr. Pacella, the further along we get in this conversation, the more I'm agreeing with his distinction between facial and body scars. <laughs> I, I'm like, not sure why I disagreed with that in the beginning, but particularly in the body where the scars tend to get a little bit thicker. I, I, I'm much more proactive in treating the scars around six weeks all scars with lasers. A little bit of a different approach as opposed to using an ablative laser or for our listeners, a heat-generating laser, we'll use a non-ablative laser. The most recent one we're using is one by a company called Cytan that we can use on all skin types. We used to use microneedling before that as, as a way to try to, again, sort of use a non-ablative mechanism by which to
0: speed up the, the, the rate of, and basically just from the top layers of collagen. Without- uh, let, let me just qualify that remark for a second. When I said when I mentioned the reddest of the lasers, it, I refer to, to those, those that are like super keloid or hypertrophic scarring type of lasers. That's are an ablative. Oh, got laser. it. Okay. Not, got not it. Got it. Okay.
1: <laughs> got it.
0: Okay. So yeah, but we
1: proactively will get people going with non-ablative lasers to just basically try to get off those top layers. And again, it's all being done with the attempt to try to shorten the amount of that remodeling phase. I think if a scar is healing normally, the laser treatments that we're doing, I don't think are necessary. But what I do think they do is I think they speed up that remodeling phase. Once a scar reaches this point of maturation where it's a pale line, at that point, I'm not worried about the scar ever getting bad. But while there's active inflammation around it, if you go to the beach or if you are out at your pool for a long time or you're going to a cookout, we're in Texas, San Diego, maybe not so much New Jersey, the sun is... Fierce there's a potential to take a scar that's in an inflammatory phase and it and it can turn really bad, so the sh- the shorter we can make that remodeling phase, the less anxiety I feel about the long term results.
0: see. okay, so let's fast forward now we've kind of done the laser treatment we're kind of well on the road to recovery. Dr. Ree, when is this scar going to disappear on me? It's been a year. Tell me. <laughs> Is this ever gonna get better? Is this the way it looks?
2: Another secret, scars never actually, very rarely ever disappear. Like I never tell a patient your scar will disappear. I will say our goal is to get it to fade, to be as inconspicuous as possible. And honestly, in some patients, it's really hard to see some of those scars, but I will never guarantee or tell a patient your scar is gonna disappear and you'll never see it. That's That's a fallacy. So I will say that after about a year, as you said, we get to that final phase where things are fairly mature with a scar and there's, you're not going to see so much change with it. You sort of reach the end of that curve. It's slow. And at that point, hopefully you've achieved what you really want in terms of that scar appearance. If you haven't, that's when you start going down that big cycle of managing bad appearing scars. And, and that again, probably might be a whole nother topic in and of itself, but I would hope by a year, I, I could confidently tell a patient we're sort of pretty close to what that final appearance is going to be at that point.
1: Yeah. The goal is never to make the scar disappear. It's to make it cosmetically acceptable. But I agree with Sam. Year or two, best case scenario, six months. Worst case scenario, two years, somewhere in that time range. Younger patients, certain ethnicities of patients tend to take longer. Older patients um, with paler skin
0: tones tend to be a little better. But like like everything in life, it's a trade off, right? You get you get the benefit of the cosmetic surgery, you get the benefit of the the breast implant, the tummy tuck, the new face, but it doesn't come without some sort of sacrifice, right? And if we can. If we can manage that in such a way to make the scars look as as inconspicuous as possible, then I think we we've, we've done our job. So, so, gents, any anything further to add on the scar side of things? Or,
1: I mean, I th- I think that's a really comprehensive discussion. It shows that we kind of agree on the principles of everything, but do everything differently. And and that's that's I mean, I think that's the key. Though you're gonna there's, you're either gonna come to one of us or one of ten thousand other. Plastic surgeons out there, and you'll get slight variations, but th- the principles don't change depending on who you go see.
2: So true,
0: right? right. And I, I think for our listeners out there, we want to we want to stress we've you can see that all three of us have, have a strategy, and we've kind of thought about this topic I think throughout our entire careers because scars can be problematic for patients, and when when you have a great scar, it's a win win for everybody, right? We want you to be happy about your surgery and and kind of. Uh, and not concentrate on, on the bad part of it or sort of the scarring. So I think it's important. We're, we're in tune to that and, and we want you to know that. So, well, gents, thank you so much for a wonderful discussion. I always learn, learn the most chatting with you, and we'll sign off till next time. Peace out, homies. <laughs> <All right. laughs>